So good evening, everyone. Like Dustin said, I'm Nate, and I'm a member of HCC, and I'm on staff with Campus Collective, and, uh, and I'm also a part of the teaching team, and I'm just pumped to be bringing this message to you all. I see a lot of new faces, and uh, I see a lot of faces that uh, I know and love, and I'm just really excited to be bringing this to you all. Um, the Lord has used this passage in my life um, this past two weeks, and I just can't wait to encourage you with it. We're still going to be in Romans 8, and this passage is so full of amazing truths that should take us into a deeper understanding of who Christ is, and also who we are, and what he has for us, as believers. So at the beginning of this series, uh, two weeks ago, Dustin brought up seven points on why we should love Romans 8, two of which we will be identifying in tonight's passage. One. This chapter deals with the brokenness of the universe and what will happen when Jesus fixes everything and makes it all new. And two, being this chapter shows us that the horror of suffering is overwhelmed by the hope of glory. One goal in going through this chapter is that by exposing the truth in it, you are propelled to memorize it and study it deeper, giving you another weapon with which to fight for your faith. So, Two weeks ago, Dustin showed us how we can have victory through Jesus Christ, no condemnation. Therefore, we can never be the same. And Luke showed us last week how we were debtors to the flesh and demystified, how we are to now instead, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. He wrapped up by drawing our attention to the intimate relationship we have with God now, able to cry out to him, Abba, Father. So Luke ended last week on Romans 8, 17. And if you would just turn to there, that is up. Which says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with them in order that we may also be glorified with them. So if we are children crying out to God, Abba, then we are to receive what God has and Christ have for us. And it's important to note that the next line, which is provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him, is a conditional statement, but not in how it would first appear. Um, if we suffer with Christ, we will be glorified with Christ. It does not mean that our suffering has bought our being glorified. Instead, it says that the way to glory is through suffering. Do you see the difference there? And if the way to being glorified with Christ is rife with suffering, then we need preparation for that suffering. Which brings us to Romans 8, 18 through 25, and the title of the sermon, which is Arming the Church for Suffering. Brothers and sisters, we must revel in these truths if we are to suffer in a way that glorifies and honors the Lord. Let's pray. Father, um, you are glorious. Lord, you are mighty to save us. Lord, we just thank you for the blood of Christ and his resurrection, which has covered our sins and then has just brought us into this new life with you. Lord, we thank you for scripture that um, we can read it and we can understand what your character is and how we should live this life in preparation to be with you and glorify you forever. So we love you and we praise you, Jesus. Amen.
Okay, so verse 18, we're going to jump right into it. And it says, um, actually, we're going to read it all the way through. So 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So... on that. <coughs> I think I did. So, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So, <coughs> Romans is a letter by Paul to the Church of Rome, and they are about to experience the uh, most immense suffering. Um, less than 50 years after this letter is penned, a large portion of Rome is burnt to the ground. Um, the emperor at the time, Nero, blames the Jews and Christians, enabling the widespread persecution of Christians across the empire, but especially in the city of Rome. And they are made into human torches to light the city streets. Imagine a human being up on a pole burning to uh, light your path. And um, there are accounts of them being fed to lions and of being hunted and torn apart by dogs. This is not a good time for the Church of Rome. Paul gets this too. He has already been estranged because of his faith from everything he once knew. So his religion, his family, um, his, even his self-worth at the time. And um, he will have been beaten with rods, whipped. When we say whipped, we don't think like spanked. When we say whipped, we mean the, his back flayed apart with a leather whip until the bone and the sinew was showing. So he was shipwrecked three times, which in that day and age was a very serious affair. I think it is now too, but at least they have like the Coast Guard and um, like GPS. But back then they didn't. So he was also thrown into prison and frequently, he was thrown into prison frequently and finally executed. Take note though, that the authority that Paul speaks with in this instance is not because of his experiences or his suffering. It is because he has been appointed by Christ as an apostle to reveal the gospel to the Gentiles. I feel that I have suffered very little in life, but even if I had, my experiences do not give me the authority to pre preach this message. Might add more weight to it, but um, the word is the authority. And please, if you feel that I have been um, unfaithful to this text at any point, then you can come to me. You guys, I love you. I know I know so many faces in here. And I'm just so thankful that, like, if there's so many people here that would, like, call me out on that. It's just a good thing we've got going here. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it would be for my benefit if I had taught something that was untrue. So the four and four I consider is meaning in light of the fact that suffering leads to glory as shown in verse 17. I consider that the sufferings of this present time or I believe all the circumstances that cause me pain and harm right now are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul is saying that going through all this pain he is in right now is inconsequential when compared with what is coming in the future. This arms you for suffering because you won't be caught by surprise. You know that suffering is going to be coming because of what verse 17 says. And also, 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So another way this arms you is to have you looking beyond and ahead, looking towards what is coming and saying, it is worth going through what I am in right now to get to it. Pray this. Um, just ask him to make you ready for suffering because it is undoubtedly coming for us who believe. Read scripture so you're focused on the spiritual instead of physical. And when I say that, look back to what Luke was saying about putting to death the flesh. Um, so be focused on the things of Christ as opposed to instead of being focused on the flesh. And uh, I think it's good to note this is a mystery not mysticism. When I say that, I mean, though we do not fully understand like how the mystery of the Holy Spirit works in our lives, we do know it uh, is through Scripture and prayer. It is not Buddhism or Hinduism or some ethereal New Age religion um, that has no definition. Christ has revealed how to follow him and therefore how to obediently suffer let this propel you to speak of the gospel with boldness, knowing that what you suffer at the hands of those you are speaking to is worth it. Not only for you because of what you may obtain in the reward of being obedient to Christ, but also for those who you're speaking to obtain the salvation of Jesus Christ. So just moving ahead to verse 19. And it says... For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. We are building an argument here for why suffering is inconsequential. Creation does not include people in this verse. Biblical scholars say that the Greek word used here for creation is excluding man and angels. And also something I found I think supports this is that why would somebody who doesn't believe be eagerly awaiting the revealing of the sons of God? So we who are adopted or those who are led by the Spirit of God are going to be revealed one day. Though we are set apart in many ways unseen, we still sin and our bodies are still experiencing sin and death. One day at the return of Christ, it will be undeniable that we are children of God. We see why creation is eagerly longing for this. It is going to be liberated when we are. And this is what we see in verse 20 and 21, which says, 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The Greek word for futility equals frustration. So nature isn't what it's meant to be. Its purpose has become frustrated. Or it can't achieve its purpose in glorifying God. Creation is in turmoil, at one time in perfect harmony with Adam and Eve at the beginning. It isn't as beautiful or wholesome as it used to be. If you want to gain a deeper understanding of this idea, then you can look into an Old Testament book, Ecclesiastes. Um, In fact, the same Greek word that they use for futility in this passage, they also use for vanity in that one. And um, it covers much of the same theme of creation being just a paradox of frustration for mankind. And um, I just encourage you to go through that book. It's really awesome. The uh, Old Testament is very relevant to us as well. So creation is waiting because that is when it will be alleviated of all its turmoil. It was put under the rule of turmoil by God. And we see this in Genesis where Adam disobeys and is accursed by God. Just as Adam and all mankind is subjected to futility, creation was also alongside him. The difference lies in that while Adam willingly, see that, not willingly, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. The difference lies that Adam willingly chose subjection to futility or death by disobeying God's command to not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge. And he was fully grasping at the consequences Creation, instead, was accursed because of mankind. Do you have a big picture understanding of the natural world? I know we can be sort of isolated from natural disasters or anything, but look at the destruction and look at the rapidly declining state of our environment. Look at how we are at odds with creation. It is a killer out to get us. And So possibly one question that could come up um, is how could God do this? Like how could God subject us and creation to suffering? I think the best way to understand how God can subject something to futility in hopes of what will be accomplished is to look at the cross. And there's nothing more futile than the torturous, mocking murder of the most caring, loving, perfect being, Christ, at the hands of the most hardened, hateful, and sinful ones. And do not be deceived. This is you, and this is me. It is our sin that he took upon the cross. And if you are wrestling with how God can allow evil to happen, and you believe that Christ died for you, and rose again, then you are proof of the fruition of God's sovereignty over suffering. Let's not let this pass over us as a simple theological fact to put in our pocket, but let this stir up our affections for Christ and draw us into a deeper trust of him. And I just marvel at the beauty of Christ's suffering, what Christ's suffering accomplished, and uh, it allows me to see the beauty in what I will or am suffering. So all I'm really echoing in this is a... uh, the first gospel sermon from 
the Apostle Peter. So this happens directly after the death and resurrection and ascension. An angel comes to the believers and the apostles at the time. And um, he tells them to go wait in the upper room. And they are waiting and at the festival of Pentecost, where all manners of believers of God are gathered in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit descends in tongues of fire upon these believers and the apostles. And it then propels Peter to go out and proclaim the gospel to the crowds around. And um, this is what he says. This is just like ferocious to say this to this crowd. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pain of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And that was Acts 2, 23 and 24. Jesus was handed over to be murdered in accordance with God's plan. Does that make you trust him less, seeing that he would murder his own son? But look at what he does next. He raises him up, loosing the pangs of death. Loosing. Think undoing the bow on a Christmas gift or unshackling chains. The fear of death, death was tight upon our wrists, our necks, and our ankles. But Jesus has released us from this fear by overpowering. And we have received power in this by being assured that our bodies will be resurrected. But we are longing and waiting for the realization of this truth. When we won't only hope for it, but we will also see it. Which brings us to verse 22 of Romans 8. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And because it has been engulfed in sin and death, frustrated from its purpose of perfect order and life-producing nature, all of creation beckons in the same way that we do, as shown here in verse 23. Let's move to verse 23 now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons to the redemption of our bodies. So I have a baby girl that is a year and a half old. Um, and she is such an incredible joy in my life. And um, her entrance into this world was not easy. Not that it was particularly hard for me physically, but um, my wife experienced so much pain. And... Um, not only this, but it was terrifying as well. We had an emergency C-section, and uh, Liza was experiencing infection, so we had to just like, you know, had just like a split-second decision of going into cesarean, and I uh, wasn't even able to be like back there for her um, for her birth. But um, that was just like the scariest moment of my life, and there was, but there was like so much anticipation in that time for her to be in our arms and for us to like know this baby girl. We didn't even know she was a girl at the time. But um, that pain of labor only increased until it was done. And there is this understanding that life on earth is only going to continue to get worse until it gets better with the second coming of Christ. We are persecuted so little right now um, in the United States. At least compared to those overseas, but it will get worse. Um, 
And I don't say this to minimize your suffering. I know many of you here that are suffering, and I know that all of us have experienced suffering at some capacity. And this is the comfort um, that know that Christ has suffered this as well and sees your suffering and count this suffering as a mercy in that it loosens your grip of this world and makes us cry out for the Lord to come. The natural world has this cycle built into it, even the seasons. We have winter and we trudge through its misery in earnest expectation for the growth and renewal and beauty and warmth that come with spring. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the adoption of sons, the good work started by our Lord Jesus Christ, have opened eyes to the fact that we are in winter waiting for spring. We know that what is is not how it should be. For the ones who have the Spirit of God, we realize that something isn't right in this world and in ourselves, and we are troubled by it, which propels us to look forward to when it will be made right. Creation is aware of the same thing. Creation groans because it's in turmoil. Think earthquakes, tsunamis, wildfires. We groan because our bodies are broken and dying. Cancer, hunger, poverty, mental illness. We groan because we see the effects of sin. Racism, murder, genocide, abortion, drug abuse, divorce. We groan because we sin. So Romans 7, 23 through 24 says, But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul is painfully aware of the turmoil in being destined for glory and what that means in looking, waiting right now. So the first fruit that it speaks of in verse 23. Right now, we are saved from the wrath of God as believers. But one day, we will be delivered from the sufferings of this world. Therefore, we can suffer with joy and peace, which is a foreshadowing of the joy and peace we will have eternally in Christ in our redeemed bodies. For in, going to verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? Hope is not just waiting for something to happen in the future. It is expecting it to. To hope in something God has for you is to trust that what God says is true. We were saved from the wrath of God for the redemption of our bodies, the culmination of being sons of God. But it hasn't happened yet, or else we wouldn't be hoping for it. But be armed with it, and know and trust earnestly, and long for this to happen. Praying and reading are acts of exercising faith. Um, we are placing our hope and expectation for something to happen simply by reading and praying. So we are placing our hope in God by reading and praying. Scripture shows us how to live our life as we are in this life waiting for suffering to end. So how do we live? We live on mission and by taking action. So we read, we pray, we are fasting, we are earnestly expecting, sharing, bearing each other's burdens. 
proclaiming the gospel and teaching the gospel and longing and waiting patiently. Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. But if we keep our eyes fixed on the redemption of our bodies with Christ, we will endure this life of suffering with a heart that trusts God as sovereign. Why must we wait for patience? Why must we wait for it with patience? Patience is enduring whatever comes with a resignation to God's will. And if God wills it, then it is for his glory. And we know that if it is for God's glory, then it is for our good and those who believe in him. Therefore, we can patiently endure suffering, knowing that it is for our good. The patience to endure does not come from us, but it is a fruit of having the Holy Spirit within us. Which brings me to the end and um, the conclusion and just ways that we are armed for suffering. And looking back, it is we look ahead to what God has promised. And we trust that suffering is for hope. And we are aware that suffering will come. And we know that we can patiently endure suffering, knowing it is for our good. And perhaps you are still questioning how God could allow suffering and still be good. But let me ask you this. At what point do you want God to stop suffering? Famine would be nice. Disease, natural disasters, poverty. How about murder, rape, slavery? What about lying or jealousy or stealing? There is not anyone among us that hasn't caused somebody else to suffer. And if God is putting an end to suffering right now, then he is going to wipe out all of humanity. Suffering is not the problem. Suffering is the effect of the problem. Sin is the problem, and we are the sinners. So I'm going to take us back to the beginning, uh, at Genesis 3, 14 through 19. And it says... The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The earth has been subjected to futility because of sin, our sin. God speaks to the serpent and says that the woman's offspring will bruise the serpent's head, and that the serpent will bruise the offspring's heel. Christ is the offspring, and Satan the serpent struck his heel with death on the cross. 
Christ took on this, our sins and died for them, dying as the perfect sacrifice for our sin and then resurrecting from the dead, defeating both sin and death, making Satan's power over us ruined. If we repent of our sins and believe that the blood of Christ has covered our sins and that by his resurrection we are given new life, then we will suffer in this life only until we die or he returns. If not, then this life's suffering will not compare to the suffering of eternity apart from Christ. Which brings us to the final passage of Scripture in Revelation 20, 12, all the way to 21, 8. And it says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. So the previous in chapter 20, um, that is what is for those who are outside of Christ when the day of judgment comes. But what we have forward to look forward to as believers is an eternity with Christ in our redeemed bodies. So let us just this next passage just propel us to worship him and praise him and thank him for what we have to look forward to as believers. So, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, or crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that bursts with fire, burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. 